Good morning, everyone. It's good to uh, be with you in worship, and uh, hopefully you're doing well. Uh, Today we get to wrap up our five-week series on Ecclesiastes, and uh, our staff, we've all just kind of gone around and each taken a piece uh, of this uh, incredible book and kind of taught from it, and uh, today we wrap it up, and next week we begin a new series that's going to take us through the end of the summer on uh, John's first letter to the church, 1 John. And uh, I think it's really a good place to go from Ecclesiastes because uh, John addresses some heresies that the church is wrestling with, but then he also applies it to our lives and how we can really love one another and show the world what true love is by loving each other uh, as friends, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we'll be looking at that together. Uh, but today I want us to uh, turn to Ecclesiastes 12, and this is the, the epilogue of Solomon's uh, writings in Ecclesiastes, and we're going to read just the last few verses in this uh, concluding chapter of his book, beginning in verse 8. And this is going to sound familiar. Solomon writes, Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but also he imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now, all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. This is the word of God. Can we bow in a word of prayer one more time? Father, as we have all come together and uh, worshipped and and sung songs and prayed prayers and and now just listened to the reading of your word, uh, Lord, would you uh, have your way with us this morning? Uh, Whether we come here excited to be a part of this community and worship, uh, whether we're uh, hurting or or, or feeling uh, pain or frustration or disappointment over something that's happening in our lives, um, Lord, whether we're searching for meaning and truth and we have questions and doubts, Uh, Lord, as we've gathered in this time, would you um, speak to each and every single one of us, wherever we are, whatever seats we're sitting in, Uh, Lord, because we know that you are the creator and the revealer of all things. Uh, And so, Lord, um, guide us now through this uh, final portion, this final section of the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Lord, may we come with a posture of humility, with an openness to hear your voice and to allow your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. Uh, about a month ago, my parents uh, came to Boston to visit us, and uh, it was around the time my wife and I were going to take a trip, so they came to uh, watch my kids. And every time my parents or uh, Esther's parents come to town, we're always saying, oh, what can we do with them? You know, what, what can we show them? Where can we take them? You know, uh, what restaurants or kinds of foods, you know, would they be interested in? And we, you know, we want to make sure that they're not bored and that we have some sort of an itinerary for them. And uh, the problem is uh, we've been living here for, I've been living here for almost uh, 15 years. And so there isn't really anything in greater Boston that I haven't taken my parents to see or to do or, or any of my favorite restaurants that they haven't been able to eat at yet. 
But this time around was a little different because as I was talking to my dad, he said, hey, Eugene, um, is there a chance that you could take me out to Concord, Massachusetts? I was like, con- con- what's in Concord? Like, wh- 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 where do you want to go? Where do you wanna, what do you want to see there? And he goes, well, and this is where the conversation got really interesting. He said, I've been reading Walden. And I just want to go and see the house that Henry David Thoreau lived in for two years in the wilderness to understand the concept of the simple life. I was like, who am I talking to? <laughs> Who's on the phone? You know, I, thought, I thought somebody was pulling my leg. And I was like, all right, yeah, we can go and check it out. And so that Sunday we, uh, after church, uh, we, uh, we went out to eat and then we uh, went to the pond. And, you know, I was actually expecting a very drab uh, sort of a set of scenery, but it was very beautiful. It was very uh, perfectly cloudy and sunny at the same time. And uh, we ended up, uh, my dad, myself, and, and my two older boys uh, hiking around the entire pond, <laughs> you know, father, son, and grandchildren, all three generations. And of course, he brought his camera, so we had to stop every five steps and take pictures with leaves and berries and, you know, bugs and water. Um, but, uh, you know, he, uh, he was really fascinated with uh, that experience that, uh, really, it was about 170 years ago, um, uh, Henry David Thoreau went into the woods in Concord for two years, two months, and two days, and uh, what he essentially did was explore the meaning of life. And in his book, Walden, there's this quote. He says, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and to see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover what I had not lived. Wow. Isn't that heavy? Isn't that profound? I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, intentionally, to front only the essential facts of life. To learn, to see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Reminds me of William Wallace and Braveheart. Every man lives. No, every man dies, right? Well, I just messed it up right there. <laughs> every man dies, but not every man truly lives. Right? He said that as he was about to be decapitated, you know. Um, about 10 years ago, uh, a famous pastor out in California named Rick Warren wrote a book, bestseller, called The Purpose Driven Life, with this subheading here, What on Earth Am I Here For? Within five years, he sold 30 million copies. I was trying to find out how many copies of this book have been sold to date, but I think they just stopped counting, because they just keep reprinting the book, they have a new cover for it and everything. But that's such a profound question, isn't it? What on earth am I here for? Why do I exist? What is the point? What do I have to look forward to? And whether you're a Christian or a skeptic, whether you believe or whether you're seeking, whether you're a philosopher or just an ordinary common person, at one point or another, we all ask this question, right? Don't we? In some way, shape, or form. What's the big deal? Why am I here? Who got us into this mess? What is my purpose? What is my call? Really deep and profound questions. And so many of you have come to me as if I'm a fortune teller asking me to answer that question. And I say, I don't know. What are you here for? Right? And you go and cry and are discouraged and in despair. And unless we answer this question, that's what could happen. We could all go into despair. Last week when Hojin was teaching on Ecclesiastes 11, he used the expression YOLO. You guys know what YOLO means. I just learned this a couple months ago. I had no idea what Y-O-L-O stood for. And my neighbors graciously said, Oh, old man, you. 
Let us explain. It means you only live once, right? I put my entire life savings in Las Vegas on black. You only live once, right? Uh, I'm driving into a hurricane with my convertible top down. You only live once. You see, that's the attitude that you would have if you can't answer this question. And oftentimes when we read the book of Ecclesiastes, we misinterpret it because around 40 times, Solomon says everything's meaningless. Everything is vanity. Four or five weeks ago, I don't know if you remember, when Danny first kicked off this series, he said the Hebrew word for that word that we've interpreted as meaningless or vanity uh, is the Hebrew word hevel. Can you say hevel with me? Hevel. Hevel. Hevel could mean brevity. It could mean uh, uh, short, temporary, passing, fading, vanity, meaningless, impartial. Uh, And then, you know, he gave the famous illustration of the puff, right? The puff. And I think Dan Nam tried to do the baby powder, you know, like the, it's a vapor. It's here one moment and gone the next. Solomon uses that word 40 times in Ecclesiastes. And so oftentimes we read this and we're like, why is this in the Bible? Does this validate my skepticism? Does this really validate the point that there is no point? That there is no meaning? That there is no purpose in life? And that's the way we could walk away from Ecclesiastes, but that would be a severe misinterpretation. Because you're taking out of context what Solomon is going through and what he is experiencing. You see, in chapter 1, Solomon says, What does man gain from all of his work, from all of his labor, at which he toils under the sun? The average person who works full-time works 2,080 hours a year, for 30, 40, 50 years. That's a lot of hours. What's the point of all that time? Is it just to make a paycheck? To buy a house? To secure your family? To eat food? What's the point? What do you gain? Then he says in verse 9, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. You think you're clever. You think you figured it out. But guess what? Plenty of other people have come to that conclusion. You think you're original. You think you're profound. You think you're deep because you're asking these questions about the existence of life, but guess what? We've all been there and done that. And then he says in verse 13, I devoted myself, remember he's the wisest man who ever lived, I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, we can read that and we can be skeptical, or we can understand the proper context that Solomon is writing this in. Because here, in verse 13, verse 9, and verse 3, what does he say repeatedly over and over and over? What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? What has been will be again, what has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And then he says, I have seen all the things that are done under the sun, all of them are meaningless. In other words, what Solomon is teaching is this. What he does is he looks at life and he divides everything into two realities, into two realms. He said there is the the realm of seeing, touching, feeling, tasting, and hearing. It is the physical realm. It is everything that is under the sun. In other words, it's all of creation. Everything under heaven, under the sun, is that which we can see, that which we can touch, that which we can experience. It pleases our senses. 
And Solomon is saying, everything that's created, I've touched, I've experienced, I've pondered. But the other reality that he divides it into is not everything that's under the sun, but everything that's above the sun. Everything above the heavens, or in the heavens. In other words, Solomon is not just cynical about the things of this world, but he has to put it in the proper context of eternity. Because if you only live once, and this life is all that there is to live, of course, you should just blow it all. You should just blow your brains out, because at the end of it, there's nothing that matters. Solomon says, if this life is all that there is to left, there is no difference between wisdom and folly. Solomon says, if this life is all that's left to us, there is no difference between humans and animals. Solomon says, if this is all that we have here, money, wealth, happiness, joy, sex, pleasure, recreation, if this is all that is left to us, he says there's no difference than being alive or being dead because in the end we all end up dead. But he projects all of this in light of eternity. And unless we project this all in light of eternity, if eternity is not a part of the equation, then we have every right to be cynical and skeptical and depressed. Because you only live once after all, don't you? So might as well make this one count. But Solomon is saying... No, you don't only live once, you live forever and ever and ever. So everything you do and everything you experience must be thrown upon the light of eternity for true wisdom and for true knowledge. Now, let's look at what he says in the passage we just read. He says, not only was the teacher wise, all right, And he's speaking in the third person here because this is the epilogue. This is the conclusion. Now that he's seen it and done it and experienced it, and he's been writing about it, he's saying, you know, I was wise, but I also imparted knowledge to the people. It says, he pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. Now, as wise as Solomon was, as powerful, as learned as he was, look at the discipline there. It says, he searched out and set in order many Proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words. And this should encourage us as well to be searching for these truths, to be searching for our calling and our purpose and God's will for our lives. Oftentimes we get so confused and it's our own fault because we're lazy. We're not searching the scriptures. We're not searching our hearts. We're not searching for God's will in our lives. We just want a sermon to tell us what to do. We want a pastor or a counselor or a leader to just tell us to choose whether it's A, B, or C, and then we'll be on our way. We are just lazy. We're not just supposed to read the scriptures every day for inspiration and devotion, but for direction, for the impartation of wisdom and knowledge and revelation of God and everything he wants us to understand. And yet we allow our Bibles to collect dust. And we assume that we have it all figured out. But Solomon Solomon was not content with that. He devoted his life to search out the meaning of existence. And he was a learned man. He searched and searched and searched. And this is the advice he gives. The words of the wise are like goads. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. In other words, he's using the metaphor here that wisdom from wise men 
are able to prod us in the right direction. A goad was a stick with a pointer or a stinger on it, and farmers would use it to, to lead animals to walk a straight path or to go into a certain direction. A huge animal, a beastly animal, was hard to control, but if you had a goad, you could tell it exactly where to go. Left, right, straight, stop. All you needed was a goad. And Solomon is saying the wisdom of wise men are like goads. They can point us in the right direction. They can lead us down the right path. And then he says their sayings are like firmly embedded nails. Another metaphor here saying you can trust in what they've experienced and learned to give you security. It anchors you down. It holds you firm. Rather than feeling like you're tossed about like the wind and the waves, if you listen to the collected wisdom of wise men that's been given by who, he qualifies it by saying, the shepherd, the capital S shepherd, which is God, we can find direction for our lives and we can trust in the foundation upon which we're standing. There is security there. There is a stability that's offered to us. And then he says, be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. If anybody adds anything to the revelation of God, be careful, be skeptical, step back, examine it. This morning we started our theology discipleship class and our first topic was scripture. And one of the applications that we ended with was uh, the, the sufficiency of the Bible. We have everything we need in it. And if anybody tries to add on to that, we should step back and say, we don't need that. I mean, we can think about it, we can talk about it, but we have everything we need. Don't add on. And Solomon is saying, be careful for anything that anyone tries to add on to the revealed will and wisdom of God given to us in Scripture. And then he says, he sort of gives a proverbial saying, of, many, uh, of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies the body. Now, this was probably written around 3,000 years ago. Since then, uh, we've invented this thing called the printing press, and the World Wide Web, so information is in abundance. I mean, you can pull out your phone right now and ask any question and wiki it, and you can have it in an instant. And so what Solomon is saying, there is a lot of information out there. And there are a lot of people who claim to be wise, and a lot of people have experience. But be careful where you devote your time and who you listen to. I remember when I first became a Christian, I wanted to read. I wanted to learn more about my faith and more about what it meant to be a disciple and a Christian. I went to the Christian bookstore And it was so overwhelming. This was back when Christian bookstores used to exist. They they don't exist anymore, do they? Right? But I grew up in the Bible Belt, so they were everywhere. And I would go to the store and say, oh my gosh, I want to find a good book to read. And they were just, like, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of choices. And I didn't know where to turn and what to look at. And I knew I didn't have all the time in the world. And I didn't have all the energy in the world to read these things. Because much study wearies the body. So I needed some direction. I needed some guidance. I didn't know where to begin. But today, let me give you Pastor Eugene's advice or suggested reading list. Okay, and this isn't my top ten books. These are the two essential books, in addition to the Bible, that I think every Christian, every believer, or skeptic should read, should have on their bookshelf, and you should read it over and over again throughout your life. If you have not read it, get it today. Get it tomorrow. Download it on your e-reader. Go out and order it on Amazon. But these two books, there are... I mean, if you come to my house, I've got too many books. My wife tells me all the time, we need to burn some, we need to throw some away. But these are the two books that if my house were burning down and I had to choose two books, I'd grab these two books. Or actually, I have them on my phone too. I just grabbed my phone, right? They are Knowing God by J.I. Packer and Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Packer really, I mean, as basically and fundamentally as possible, helps us to know who God is and how to live for him, how to follow him, how to worship him. It's a classic. 
I don't know how many thousands, I mean millions of copies and how many different languages this has been written in, but this is definitely a book we should all have on our shelf. And then we've heard a lot about C.S. Lewis movies, you know, lately, the Chronicles of Narnia, and I tend to quote him pretty often, but Mere Christianity. Mere Christianity uh, was written as C.S. Lewis was uh, reflecting on his journey from atheism to faith. And uh, he was looking for logical proof that God existed. But he realized he would never find that. However, in that search, he found many proofs that pointed to the existence of God. And as he was wrestling with and processing these many proofs, it led him to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he became saved. And we owe much to these two. I mean, there are many other books I could add. I I started with ten, literally, and I just kept narrowing them down to the two. If you don't have these, read these. Solomon says, be careful what you read. Read only the wisdom that comes from the shepherd. I would say if there are two books all of us should read and be familiar with, these are the two. Okay? Solomon goes on to say, now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Remember, Solomon now is uh, examining everything that there is in life, everything that he's experienced. He's experienced everything. He's experienced happiness and joy, sorrow and disappointment, wealth and poverty, justice and injustice, success and failure, love, lust, and everything in between. Solomon has been there and done that, and he is doing all of this. He is examining all of it in light of eternity because he says everything that's done, of it all, nothing is hidden. God will judge it all. Everything is seen by God. But he says this is the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Let's break this down. He says, this is the whole duty of man. What does that mean? Remember, in this journey, in this investigation, he was asking the question, I tried cheering myself with wine, you know, a little bit of drinking helps sometimes, and I embraced folly, my mind still guiding me with wisdom. I wanted to see what was worthwhile for men to do under heaven during the few days of their lives. And so as he's writing Ecclesiastes, he's really trying to answer the question, why am I here? What is the purpose of life? What's the point? And the answer he comes to is that the whole duty of man, everything that we're called into, is to do what? To fear God and keep his commandments. The Westminster Shorter Catechism of Faith says, the chief end of man is to enjoy God forever, to enjoy God, to worship God, to love God. He's saying, Solomon is saying, this is our purpose, our whole purpose, our primary purpose. And he says it by doing two things. First, he says, fear God. Now, sometimes we don't like that word fear because uh, we think of being scared or intimidated. And To be honest with you, if God were to just show up in his full glory, we should be scared and we should be intimidated. We should take off our shoes and bow down and close our eyes because his holiness would blind us and burn through our hearts. We are limited. We are the creation. He is the creator. He is holy. We are not. But Solomon also writes to us in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
Solomon is saying we must come before God with reverence, with awe, with respect. To disrespect someone is to not fear them, right? Sometimes, I'll give you a little peek into my life, I will tell my children what to do and what not to do. As their parent, I'm trying to teach them how to be responsible, how to be mature. And sometimes they deliberately disobey me. They don't do what I told them to do. So I have to instill a little bit of fear, right? Come here right now! I, I mean, I don't, I'm like, hey boys, come here right now. Come to your patient father. I have something light and sweet I'd like to discuss with you and see if you would agree with me. Get your, come over here right now and bring that two by four in the corner, you know, like get over here, you know, bend over backwards, you know. What? Okay, that's not what it's like, okay? Today is Father's Day, by the way, all right? <laughs> that's not how I treat my kids. At least today will prove whether or not that's how I treat my kids. But I want them to respect what I'm trying to teach them. I want them to respect the value of what their father is trying to guide them in. Because one of my callings is to love my children, to raise them up, to to protect them, to teach them, to serve them, so that they would be men of God as they grow into adulthood, that they would serve the Lord passionately, that the whole duty of their lives would be to fear God and keep His commandments. And that's what Solomon is reminding us of. We need to fear God. If we don't take God seriously, if we don't respect Him, If we take the place of God and we call our own shots, we will miss the point entirely. If we're living for ourselves, for our own pleasure, our own convenience, and our own comfort, for our own security, we're going to completely miss the point. Unless we're living to enjoy God forever. And then Paul, and I'm sorry, and then Solomon says, Fear God and keep his commandments. Now, this is an exhortation that's repeated throughout Scripture from Genesis to Revelation, over and over and over. God repeats this to his people as the Israelites in Deuteronomy 13. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow. In him you must revere, you must respect, you must fear. Keep his commands and obey him, serve him, and hold fast to him. So God is speaking to his people and saying, hey, if you want to live out your purpose, why I created you, why I'm blessing you, it is so you can keep my commands. And then Jesus tells his disciples in John 14, 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Jesus, what does Jesus say? He said, if you are my disciples, keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, then you are the ones who love me. I will love you and I will reveal myself to you. Wow. It's as simple as that, isn't it? To obey, to keep all of his commandments. Not some, not just the ones that are convenient or the ones that we like, but all of them. And those who do keep all of them are the ones who love him. And then John writes to the church, and we're going to look at this in a few weeks, in 1 John 2. We know that we have come to know him, know God, if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. This is what Solomon's talking about. Fear God and keep his commandments. 
If you want to know the reason why you were created, why you exist, what the point of it all is, you have to respect God, you have to worship God, you have to enjoy God, and then you have to listen to him. Read the scriptures and do everything that it says. And the truth is, we are prone to wander and leave the one that we love. We are prone to go our own way. We are prone to sin because we're sinners. And that's why Solomon says, under the sun, everything is meaningless. Because we take everything that is good, everything that God intended to be good, all of creation, and we corrupt it. We defile it. We manipulate it. We break it. We destroy it. And we exploit it for our own gain. Why is there such evil in the world? It's because we think we're in control and we manipulate everything that God has entrusted to us. We have broken it down. We have gone astray. So Solomon is calling us to um, fear God, keep all of his commands, because this is the whole duty of man. Finally, what I want to do is I want to share with you a blog post from uh, someone that I read uh, who's not a Christian, but uh, a really, uh, he's a genius when it comes to marketing and business. Uh, his name is Seth Godin, and uh, he wrote this very recently on his blog called I Get It. He writes, no need to read the whole book. I can just glance over the cliff notes. I get it. I don't need to hear your whole pitch. Just show me the summary slide. I got it. No, I already heard about your vacation, remember? I saw the Instagram feed. Don't waste my time. Him, why would I go out with him? I read his Match.com profile, right? Just give me the shortcut. You're probably smart enough to get it merely by reading the 140-character summary of just about anything. But of course, that doesn't mean you understand it or that it changed you. All it means is that you were quickly able to sort it into an appropriate category to make a decision about where it belongs in your mental filing cabinet. The best experiences and the biggest ideas don't, inf- don't fit into a category. They change it. They don't get filed away. They transform us. It's entirely possible that you can process and file more information than anyone who has come before you. And quite likely that this filing is preventing you from growing and changing and confronting the fear that's holding you back. See, we think if we have more information, we'll have more clarity. Maybe not. You get it? No, you don't. Not yet. Because all you've gotten is a tweet. Read the book. The whole thing. Use the product. A few times. More than a few times. Immersed. It can change you. I'm borrowing some secular wisdom here, obviously. But how true is that? We like to go to the Bible for chicken soup for the soul. We like to go to the Bible when we're confused and we need to know whether it's left or right or him or her or this or that. We come to the Bible only when we need to or only if we have to. And that's why we don't get it. We don't immerse ourselves in Scripture that's been inspired by God. We cut and paste, we clip and trim, we proof text so that it conveniently fits into the categories we want it to so that we can go on living the way that we want and perpetuate the life that we want to have. But according to Seth, he says, read the whole thing, the whole thing, not just once, not just twice. Immerse 
yourself. You guys have heard me say this. Soak yourself. Marinate your soul in the flavor of Scripture. Because then, and only then, will you get it. This is what Solomon means when he says, Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. What is the point? It's not about you. And that's what Rick Warren says in the first chapter of The Purpose Driven Life. It's not about you. It's not about us. We may be the chief end of all that God created, but we still belong to creation. We still live under the sun, under the heavens. We must respect God, fear Him, revere Him, worship Him, keep His commands, because those who keep His commands are the ones who love Him. And God Himself said, it's a test. If you follow me, I'll know if you love me or not. Because this is the reason why we're here. To give him glory, to enjoy him forever. You can agree or disagree. You can live by the mantra, you only live once. This is all we, I, I've got to use this money, I've got to use this time, I've got to make sure I'm enjoying every bit of this because once it's gone, it's gone. Once I'm dead, I'm done. Or you can step back and say, this isn't the only life. There is an afterlife. There is this thing called eternity that God has put into our hearts. And in light of eternity, you live forever. So is this life just an insignificant speck of time? Yeah, it is in some respects. But because we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we are significant specks in the scope of time. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, admit that we're lazy. We want quick fixes. We just want a summary. We just want somebody to tell us what to do so we can be on our way. Whether it's a spiritual leader, a friend, a parent, a sibling, a teacher, or quite frankly, when we pray. We just want you to give it to us so that we can be on our own way. But Lord God, we've been reminded this morning that It's not about our way. It's about your way. It's not about our life. It's about the life that you have given for us to know you, for us to experience the love of your son Jesus, to be filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, to live, breathe, eat, drink, live, die, giving you glory. That is the whole duty of our lives. And yet, God, Again and again, we are prone to go about our own ways, to manipulate, to sit in the driver's seat and turn the steering wheel in our own direction. But Father, may we heed Solomon's wisdom this morning. May we heed your commandment and exhortation upon your people. May we listen to the words of Christ as he calls us to obey every command. And Lord God, may we listen to the words of the apostles as they call us to live by your word, to meditate on it day and night so that we might be corrected, so that we might be rebuked, so that we might be exhorted, that we might be trained for all seasons, for all situations, for all that you've called us into. Because then and only then, God, will we be nailed down to a firm foundation 
and not ripped up with every tragedy or every storm or every monkey wrench that gets thrown into the gears. Father, may we be found in you. May we we be rooted in you. And may we learn what it means to enjoy you, to seek your honor, to seek your praise, to seek your glory. Father, help us to see that. And as we continue worshiping you, Lord, may it not just be about our emotions, but may it be about the deep yearning and longing of our souls. Lord, we were created for you. We were created to give you glory, to enjoy you. And so, Lord, help us to do that. Remind us, convict us, exhort us again. And may this time together that we have, this short time today, at the the beginning of the week, remind us what we're called to as your people. Lord, we bless your name. Amen.